0: It's good to have the Gospel Choir. You're all looking uh, particularly awake today. I suppose it could be Daylight Savings Time or it could be uh, the Gospel Choir. So uh, appreciate them sharing with us this morning. There is a um, a famous moment that occurs in The Wizard of Oz when the film, which uh, opens in black and white, moves into color. Uh, I would like to uh, read a text today that comes from 2 Kings in which something similar to that happens. Uh, This is from a passage in 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, happens 3,000 years ago, about 850 B.C., and it happens to Elisha's intern or servant or understudy, call him um, whatever you would like to call him. Uh, just so you know before I read this, Elisha is not to be confused with Elijah. Elijah is uh, sort of a very in your face uh, tough, uh, bombastic prophet. Uh, he had gone up against King Jezebel and, uh, Je- or King Ahab and, and his wicked wife Jezebel, and then challenged the eight hundred prophets of Baal to uh, death match on top of the mountain. Elisha, who comes just after Elijah, is a sort of peaceful guy, soft-spoken, and he ministers to Israel at a time when Jehoram, the, the son of Ahab, and Jezebel are in charge. And also, just trying to keep everything straight here, this is the time When Israel refers to the ten tribes with Samaria as the capital, not to the entire nation where Jerusalem is the capital. The Old Testament uh, can be a little vexing at times. You have to keep Elijah and Elisha straight, and you have to remember that Israel refers to a person and to a country and to another country. And uh, so, a little bit of confusion out there. Um, This is what I'm going to read. Happens uh, when Israel is struggling under Jehoram. The ten tribes are not following God. None of the ten tribes are during the the, the time of Israel as ten tribes. They never will. They've got a series of bad kings. that are running away from God. Again, Samaria is the capital. They, They don't let anybody go back to Jerusalem to the temple to offer sacrifices. It's a difficult moment. And they're being attacked by the Aram's. Uh, under King uh, Ben-Hadad, and uh, Aram refers to modern-day Syria. Uh, So the conflict in the Middle East, as we know, goes back a long, long time. Um, But God is providing some insight for uh, Jehoram through Elisha. He keeps uh, revealing the secret plans of the Armenians. So, I'm reading now 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading with verse 8. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, man of God is referring to Elisha. So the king of Israel, Jehoram, checked on the place indicated by the man of God, Elisha. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Okay. Who's the spy? Who's Who's texting our GPS coordinates? Who's updating their Facebook status and revealing information here? Because they know our plans. Who is revealing this information? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him the report came back. He is in Dothan. This is a small little village and uh, like all villages back then, it's surrounded by a wall. Uh, so you, you came into the wall at night. Your farms and other things were outside the gates, but uh, everybody slept inside the gates and this is a small area and it, it, opposing enemies would surround the entire city. They could either break through the gate, they could scale over the wall, or they could just surround the city and wait until you had to come out for food or water and and attack you then. So they surrounded the city. Um, He's in Dothan, then he sent out horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, okay, so this is the intern, this is the understudy, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots that surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, and he's referring to Elisha, oh my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Okay, so he, he's, he, he wakes up, looks out, they're surrounded by opposing enemies, and so he panics, right? He's got a he, he, he knows they're not there on a tourist visa. They, he's got a fight-or-flight response, but there's no running, and there's no fighting. They're completely surrounded, this little village. There's just the two of them uh, there besides the other people in the village, but he, they're surrounded. They've come for them. He knows it. Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open the eyes. So he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes, and this in turn, his understudy, looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. If you've wondered, by the way, where the title Chariots of Fire came from for that movie, you look no further. Here it is. So uh, Elisha has prayed, and he has asked God to give to his uh, understudy unencumbered vision, an opportunity to see things as they really are, right? a chance to see true reality, and true reality is that they are protected. God has got things under control. Right? It's not that the prayer called on support. The support was already there. What, what the prayer was, was so that this, this young man could see What God had already done. So, as we read on, if you're not familiar with the story, as as it goes on, the next thing that Elisha does is he prays uh, again and he prays that that the people, that the enemy that has uh, surrounded them, would be blinded, temporarily, confused in some way. He then goes out and he talks to them and he says, you're not where you should be. You're looking for somebody. Let me take you where you actually need to go. And he then leads them to Samaria. So he leads them into the capital of Israel, where, of course, there's a huge army. And then uh, after they're there, after they entered the city, verse 20, it says, Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And so the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel, uh, Jehoram, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Elisha says, Do not kill them. Would you kill men you have captured with your sword or bow? Set food and water. Before them, so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them, and after they had finished eating and drinking, he set them on their way, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Um, (laughs) This whole thing reads a little bit like um, an Andy Griffin er episode. Uh, Andy is Elisha, right, soft-spoken, peace-loving. Uh, Barney, uh, the deputy, is the uh, intern who panics, right, and you can almost see his eyes bulging out when he looks out that morning and sees all the soldiers, And uh, but Andy says, don't panic, and he's got a plan, and they he leads them all back, and Aunt Bee feeds everybody, and everybody's fine, and uh, no problems. Um, I love this story. I've, I've come back to loving it. It actually, this passage is one of the first sermons I ever preached, and it was the sermon was so bad, uh, both in content and delivery, that somebody actually stood up in the middle of it and corrected me. Um, so I've been it's thirty years ago. I think I'm over it. Um, but uh, it, it's an amazing passage, and there are a number of different different things that we could profitably unpack out of this it's worth noting for starters the first words of counsel that Elisha gives to his to his intern and that is don't be afraid right don't fear this is a common refrain in scripture over and over in very dark frightening moments uh, God will say through a prophet, uh, don't panic, right? Everything is still under control. And just, just know that I am doing good things. Now, uh, it, it's worth noting that it's not that we are never to be afraid. As a matter of fact, we are told to be afraid. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, I, I, I always hesitate to share that we should fear God, have a holy reverence for God, because while half of you desperately need to hear that, you, you, are, you are casual and cavalier and you think that all is well between you and God and that you're a pretty good person and you desperately need to hear that you should fear God because of how holy he is. And in fact, Jesus gives us this frightening statement, do not fear him who's able to destroy your body, but unable to destroy your soul. Instead, fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul. Fear God, right? We should have that reverence. And half of you need to hear that. Half of you need to hear really the opposite. You live in ongoing fear of God. You have an ongoing sense that you disappoint Him and that He's going to be mean and vindictive. And you do not understand the nature of God. If we humble ourselves, right, if we confess our sin, God is gracious, loving, kind. God is for us, right? God is reaching out and trying to support us. Like a parent... who who struggles when they see their kids making bad decisions. God's heart is broken when we sin. Because He knows that that is going to lead us into pain. And He doesn't want to see that. But it's not that He is waiting for us to do something wrong so that He could jump on and yell at us and pile on and and punish us. Sin punishes itself. Sin is ultimately destructive. And so... We need to understand God's love and grace and mercy that is for us. So there's a lot about fear and rightly ordering our fears. And some of that comes out of this passage. There's a second place that we could go, which is just to, just to be reminded that there is a spiritual realm that we cannot see. And that uh, there are angels, there are demons, there is, a, there is, again, this supernatural realm in which things are playing out around us and we're unaware of them. Uh, the Bible talks at great length about um, angels 250, 300 times. Uh, they are beings that are different than us. We never become angels. Uh, that separate kind of being, they're more powerful than we are. Uh, They have various functions in God's economy that are different than our functions are. Among the things that they do, we're told that they do uh, protect us. And we see that uh, unfolding here in this passage that we've just looked at. But what I want us to focus on uh, in, in this communion meditation as we prepare to come to this table, what I want to set before you is a different observation and challenge. And that observation and challenge is that we need to cultivate a different vision of the world. We need to learn to see things as they really are. We need to to learn to see others and we need to learn to see situations as God sees them. Through the eyes of faith. We need to think about things, see things... as as Jesus instructs us and models for us. Now, I am not suggesting with this that we should learn how to see the the, the kind of vision that Elisha's intern had when Elisha prayed and suddenly he saw all the chariots of fire, uh, all the angels that are surrounding him. I'm not saying that. You know, I, I don't know how we could do that. Right? There are times when God does supernatural things and those kinds of things occur, um, but we're not instructed to pray for that. Uh, that doesn't seem to be, in my observation, the way God works very often. And so I'm not saying you need to, to learn to see angels and things going on around you. I'm saying something quite different than that. I'm saying we need to grow in faith so that we see things as God sees them. We need to learn to see others and situations as they are through through truth. Let me come at it this way. Um, I see the world through the eyes of a uh, 51-year-old male, Anglo-American, Perhaps too much education, too much pride, sin, my own prejudices, my own biases, my own emotional contours. I see the world through my own eyes. I actually need less of that, <laughs> right? I need, I need less of that and something that is bigger than that. My vision is limited, it's skewed, first of all, by my finiteness. And it's also skewed by my sin. And I need to see things more as they really are. More as, more as Christ has taught us to see things and people. So, how do we do that? Well... Um, I have been thinking about this for a while, not just in preparation for this sermon, but I've been thinking about this for a while, and there have been several things pushing me to think about this. Uh, I've been involved for the last, most of the last year in a uh, preacher's formation group. Uh, A friend of mine started um, these preaching formation groups around the country, and I am helping to co-facilitate one of these groups, it's for young preachers, mostly urban, um, mostly young, mostly ethnic minority preachers. And the, the, we get together for a day every two months. And there's a, a curriculum that we're working through. And the idea behind all this is that the church uh, pretty desperately needs better preaching. Right? If we want to see people grow in faith. There's lots of things that need to happen. One of them is that there needs to be better preaching, better Christ-centered, wise, gracious, uh, effective preaching. Well, the premise behind this group is that none of that is about technique or style or format that the, the key pivotal issue, if you want to have more Christ-centered, biblical, uh, wise, just preaching, you need preachers who are more Christ-centered, wise, biblically formed, more Christ-like. And so we're not talking about how to preach at all in these groups. Uh, we're looking at how we grow, and, and there's a curriculum that we're working through, and And for the last couple months, the question has been about our vision. Not vision in a management sense, like what's the vision of the future? What's the preferable future? Leaders need to have a vision. They need to keep that vision out in front of folks. But more, what do you see? What do you look at? What do you focus on? What do you see? What do you not see that you should see? Right, this isn't, again, like you shouldn't see pornography. You, you shouldn't. But this isn't about that. It's not so much about those kinds of sight things. It's more, what do you look at in the world? What is going on in the world? What would God see in this situation? Where would Christ go in this situation? And, and what are you not seeing that you should be seeing? Right, what is not happening here? And how do we, how do we develop a more biblical understanding of everything how do we see secondly um, i just yesterday morning i uh, got back from uh, a conference on preaching in a visual age it was held in uh, los angeles on hollywood boulevard at the at the warner brothers theater Uh, The Warner Brothers Theater, which is where the Academy Awards were held and many other things, has has fallen on hard times in the last uh, 70 years. It's sort of uh, kept moving down in uh, social significance. Um, It's a bad part of L.A. at this point, and uh, for a while it was an adult theater, an earthquake that damaged it. It was closed, uh, and it just became sort of a condemned building. Well, now it's a church a uh, church has, has revitalized it and the church meets there and so there was a gathering, a conference of, of seminary professors and pastors and uh, uh, visual artists and screenwriters and movie producers and Pixar and Disney creative types and it was, so it was a few days of talking about h- how do you preach in a visual age and some of it was about what people see, but some of it is about how people see and what they learn and how we process things. And there was just a lot, again, about these conversations about how, what, what is it that people look at and why do they look at it and what are people, how are people's eyes trained to see some things and not other things. And, and a fascinating couple days a little mind-bending, and I'm not entirely certain what to do with all of what I've heard. But it has taken me back to this question of how would we cultivate a vision of the world that is more informed by Christ? And I think there are a few things that are, are fairly obvious that we need to do. I mean, for starters... We, we need to listen more to be able to see differently. Right. Uh, Derek alluded in his prayer to the fact that this country is pretty divided. I think this political season has shown us that many people are unable or unwilling to see things from other people's perspective. And uh, we need to be around and listen to people who are not like us, because if your vision— of the world, is informed by people like you, then that's what all you're going to see. And I already see like a 51-year-old white male American with a handful of other characteristics and a lot of people hang around people like themselves, and so we simply continue to see things the same way. So some of this is just a call to listen to others and to be intentional about that. Some of this obviously grows out of the prayer that Elisha prayed, right? Lord, help him see, right? Give him a vision of reality. Now, that's a prayer in a different context, but it's not that different, right? We we pray, help me see. Help me see things differently. Help me see things differently. Like you see them. And then I think it's all about growing in Christ-likeness. Right? It's all about the things that we've already been talking about that we need to do. We need to do them. Right? The shorthand for this: worship, connect, grow, serve, share. We need times uh, coming together, coming together around this table with the sacraments of communion and baptism, coming together to. Think about Christ to humble ourselves before God, to praise God, to be instructed by preaching, to be together. This is worship is bigger than this, but this is part of Christ's directive. Uh, we get together in groups, right? We, we commu- life change happens best in community. There have got to be people in your lives who love God and love you and are pushing you forward to walk in. Christ likeness, and that needs to be part of the cadence of your life. And third, um, we need to we need to grow by this, in the spiritual habits, reading this book, especially the Gospels, and praying every day. Very little is as transformative as just making the commitment to read this book every day. 10 plus 10, 10 minutes of Bible reading, 10 minutes of prayer every day will help you radically change the way you see things. Additionally, there's service, right? Worship Connect grows serve. So we need to serve others somehow, some way, through the church, outside the church, doesn't matter. We are picking up our cross. Following after Christ, we are, we are going to the end of the line. We're putting the needs of others ahead of our own. We are intentional about doing that. That forms our soul and then finally share. We are sharing our finances. We're sharing our faith. I, I, I love the stories that John and, and Kathy shared. Uh, and, you know, they're stepping out. They were taking a risk. They heard a prompt And they decided to act on it. Especially John saying, you know, I've got these friends that, uh, that they're, whether they know God or not, I don't know. They've got a background, but they're going nowhere with this. Well, the plan, God's plan is that, right? You are the plan. I am the plan. The plan is you come to faith in Christ You grow in Christ, you then help others come to faith in Christ and grow in Christ. That's the plan. Plan A, plan B, plan C. There is no other plan. That's the plan. You are expected to be seeing other people follow in your path. You are growing, you are taking others with you. And as you heard from them, this was catalytic in their own spiritual development. Right? I mean, I'm growing by doing this. That's the way it works. I, I, I mean, I've learned this less than a thousand times. I led two studies this past six weeks, one here through the church and another one in my neighborhood with people that don't attend Christ Church. And, uh, you know, there's nothing quite like taking those risks and trying to pull people along. Worship, connect, grow, serve, and share. It, the way forward is, is not mysterious not exclusively mysterious we have to do the right things and in order to get that vision we have to be formed by Christ and that is you know that's doing the right things uh, doing them not out of fear but out of a desire to actually become more like Christ and to see the world as he does And so I want to encourage you to that end. And very specifically, I'll offer this challenge to some of you. Your small group is finished up. You took a step. Again, you know, 500 people got in small groups that weren't in them, uh, two months ago. Don't stop that, right? Don't keep going, right? Keep moving forward, uh, or start a new group. Uh, But do something to be intentional about that, and we have done everything we can to make it as easy as you can right now to keep those groups going. Uh, This Land of Faith study on on Israel is easy to lead, and uh, that could take you right into December and then a social time together. And in January, when we come back, we'll be doing a gospel study in the Gospel of Luke. That's going to take us a long time. Lots of support and other things to help small groups do sermon-based small groups don't not head down that path. Keep moving in that direction. We need to see the world more as God sees it. That is a next step for us. So let me pray as we come to this table. Heavenly Father, we, um, we add our voices to the prayer prayed by Elisha for his, um, for his intern, that um, we would be able to see. See uh, unencumbered truth. See reality. See the world the m- more the way you see it. See people more the way you see them. See what matters. Uh, our vision is skewed. It's limited. It's, it's bent by our own sinfulness. We acknowledge that. We want clarity. Uh, we want clarity. So I pray for that, for us, Um, we would see things more as Christ has taught us to see them. And we thank you for this opportunity to be together in your word and to come to this table. Amen.